Jesus says in John 14, verse 16 and 17, notice the passage with me tonight. Again, remember where Jesus is. He's in the setting of the upper room. This is crucifixion eve. And he is about to leave and go away. And because of the very serious nature, the timing, Jesus wants his disciples not to be in a spiritual and mental fog about the future or about the events that are about to take place. With his soon departure, he knows and senses because he's God, he's infinite, he can sense any and everything. He knows that their, that their minds are gripped with sadness. Not only can he see it etched on their face, but he knows their spirit and he can feel it, he can sense it. And so as part of his plan, he divulges that plan and information to them to let them know that he is not going to forsake them. He's not going to abandon them. He's not going to leave them alone. Notice what he says in John 14 verse 16. He says, and I will pray the Father. Or in other words, I will ask the Father. I will beseech the Father. And he, the Father, shall give you another Comforter. Stop right there just a moment. Notice the word another. If you would, highlight it in your mind, your heart, your notes, your Bible. He says, the Father will give you another comforter. Now, next Sunday morning, we will talk exhaustively about the word comforter. What it means, what it implies. What does God want us to know about the comforter? But Jesus said... He will give you another comforter. That begs the question, what kind of comforter is it? Why did Jesus say he'll give you another one? We all understand that Jesus was the comfort, the comforter for his apostles, his disciples. And he says that the Father is going to give you another one. I'm going to go away. I'm going to ask the Father. I'll beseech the Father. He's going to send you another. The word another is a very interesting word in the Greek language. There are multiple words for that one English word. The word here in the Greek is the word alos. And it means another of the same kind. It's contrasted with the Greek word heteros, which means another of a different kind. So Jesus said that I'm going to pray to the Father, and he's going to send you a comforter. Watch this. He's another comforter, but he's not different from me. Here's how we would say it. He's cut from the same cloth as I am. He's like me. In fact, he's just like me. And he goes on to say who that comforter is. He says he's going to send you another comforter. Another just as the same kind, just as I am. That, here it is. He may be able to abide with you forever. Now, that was... Critical for them to understand that statement that he will abide with you forever. He says that because he's going away. And he says, I want you to know that this comforter who the Father is going to send, who's just like me, he is not ever going to go away from you. 
I have to leave, fellas. Tomorrow, you're going to watch me be crucified, and they're going to place me in a grave, and then on the third day, I'm going to get up, and the day's coming when I'm going to ascend back to the Father, but I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. Because the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, when He comes, listen, child of God, He will never, ever leave you. Verse 17, he tells us who the comforter is. Even the spirit, the word spirit there is the word pneuma. It, it can be translated ghost. That's why. That's why in old English, uh, he is called the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Now, it, it, we're going to find out in just a moment. You don't have to, you don't have to treat it uh, treat the, him, treat the Holy Spirit like he's spooky. Okay, The Holy Spirit is not spooky. Sometimes things happen, even in church, or in, and, and we'll say, ooh! Like, <laughs> like this world is filled with all these spirits and ghosts. And, 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 and some, 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 sometimes I can't talk. Sometimes... We'll even, even in the terminology, the Holy Ghost. By the way, that's a, that's a correct in, uh, translation. That's not incorrect. But sometimes the wording that we use to describe the Holy Spirit can sometimes plant all these inaccurate thoughts in our mind about who the Holy Spirit is. The Spirit of Truth, verse 17. Whom the world cannot receive. Time out. Now that says, that means, that teaches us that unsaved people are not possessors of the Holy Spirit. They can't be. Just like this morning we talked about that when He comes in, He will transform our spiritual taste buds. He will will make us new creatures. And can I say, it is the transformation of the Holy Spirit Who does this work in our hearts? He is the spirit of truth. In other words, he brings us truth. He gives us truth. He sanctions truth. Everything about the Holy Spirit is true. Everything about him is the epitome of truth. He will never do, and we'll learn in just a moment, he'll never do anything contrary to the truth. Why? Because he's just like Jesus. He's God, just as God the Father, just as God the Son. He's God the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. An unregenerate, unredeemed person cannot discern fully the Holy Spirit of God. That's why Paul said in Corinthians that an unsaved person cannot fully receive the spiritual things of God because these things are spiritually discerned. But notice what Jesus said. Watch this. But ye know him. For he, right now, dwelleth, dwells with you. Notice the prepositions here. With you. Right now he's with you. But watch this. And he shall be, that's future, he shall be, where? In you. 
Where did that happen at? We know that happened on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came, he baptized those believers, he indwelt those believers, and he's indwelt believers ever since. So tonight, first of all, let me share with you what I call the doctrine. The doctrine. There's a term I'm going to give you, and it's not going to mean a lot to you, but it's, it's pneumatology. You say, well, what does that word mean? I recognize ology, and you just told us pneuma meant the spirit or spirit. Yes, pneumatology is the study or the doctrine or the teaching, the biblical teaching of the Holy Spirit. Why is that critical? Why is that important? Well, it is a vital component to biblical theology. Now, please, please hear me, and, 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 and I've made this statement multiple times, and I trust that we're all on the same page about this. Man, please don't ever think that Bible doctrine and Bible theology doesn't matter. And please do not think that theology is boring. Because if you say that, friend, it, it tells me that you must think God is boring. Because the study of God is theology, theos. The study of God is not boring. The study of Scripture is not boring. The teaching of the Word about the Lord Jesus is not boring at all. It's not dull. Maybe to somebody that's unredeemed. But the technical term is pneumatology. Let's talk just a moment. What, What the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Was the Holy Spirit here? Did the Holy Spirit exist in the Old Testament? Well, the answer is sure he did. Can I say that the Holy Spirit has always existed? Because the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third member of the Trinity. He was... It's interesting that in the Old Testament, there are various passages that describe and talk about and refer to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Lord. We know that prophets were anointed with the Holy Spirit. The kings, Saul, David, even Samuel, uh, the prophet anointed with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit in Old Testament days, here's how we would say it, that he was with the believer. He was with the saints, but it was on a very limited basis. His display of power and anointing was occasional. It was individual. It was not constant. And it was not universal at that time. We know that he was present at creation. Genesis 1 verse 2. And the Spirit of God moved or brooded upon the face of the waters. We know that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament times pre-Pentecost He would come upon certain individuals for special assignments and for special duties and special tasks. Certain individuals. So the Holy Spirit was present. But listen carefully. It was by sovereign design. It was on a very limited basis. Are you with me? You understand what I'm trying to say? But then we see from the New Testament 
post-Pentecost, post-upper room. Now, in our generation, in our day, because of the new covenant, because of his coming to this earth, because of John 14, the fact that Jesus prayed to the Father and the Father did send the Comforter, now the Holy Spirit not only is with us, now the Holy Spirit, here it is, is within us as believers. You see the difference? He's with us always in an infinite way. Never to leave us. To fill us. To be in us. Think of this, some would say a silly analogy, but it's a limited analogy. Picture a huge dam for hydroelectric power. Like a dam in Egypt that was built, completed in 1960, called the Aswan Dam. It's on the Nile River in Egypt. It's 375 feet high. 11,000 feet across. The Egyptian president in 1953 announced the plan for construction and it took years to complete. So in 1960, they finally completed the construction. And in, I'm sorry, 1970. And in 1971, there was a grand dedication ceremony. Twelve huge turbines with their 10 billion kilowatt hour capacity, were unleashed with enough power to light every single city in Egypt, allowing 390,000 cubic feet per second, imagine that, to pass through the dam. Most of these Egyptian villages up to that point in their nation's history had never even had electrical power before the dam was operational. But during that long period of construction, the Nile River wasn't completely stopped. Water was still able and allowed to flow down the river downstream because the Corps of Engineers, they knew that as limited as that water was, that the citizens and residents downstream still needed that water. Their their lives and livelihood and crops depended on it. The citizens still needed it. They drank it. They washed in it. It watered their crops and turned their mill wheels. They sailed on it in the moonlight. (laughs) They still wrote songs about it. That water was their life. But on the day when the reservoir poured through the turbines... A power was unleashed that spread far beyond the small number of residents downriver and brought possibilities to Egypt that they could only dream of before. Well, Pentecost and the arrival of the Holy Spirit to fill believers is sort of like that dedicatory opening of the Aswan Dam. Before Pentecost, the river of God's Spirit blessed the people of Israel and He was their very life. But after Pentecost, listen carefully, the power of the Holy Spirit spread out to light the whole world. None of the benefits enjoyed in the pre-Pentecost days were taken away. But 10 billion kilowatts... (laughs) 
were added to enable the church to do things that the Old Testament saints literally only dreamed of being able to do. So if the Old Testament saints experienced privileges and the power in the Holy Spirit before the dam was opened, are you following the analogy? How much more tonight should we in these 10 billion kilowatt days experience what they experienced and more? Are you with me? The survey of Old Testament spiritual experience should wake us up tonight to our privileges here in these last days that were inaugurated at Pentecost. John Piper said, and I quote, The church today is so sleepy, though, that some of us have even fallen behind the Old Testament saints in our appropriation of what the Holy Spirit came to give us. And I'd say amen and on me. That the Holy Spirit of God was sent by the Father to give us abundant life now. And most of us live beneath and below what even our Old Testament counterparts experienced. That's the doctrine. Let me give you the disclaimers. This is what the Holy Spirit is not. First of all, the Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is not a mere cosmic force or influence. The Holy Spirit is not a limited being. Well, I'm not sure the Holy Spirit can... No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is not limited. The Holy Spirit, listen, is not a man. He's a spirit. The Holy Spirit is not, here it is, the God, little g, within us, which we possess via our own nature or emotions. There are some theological circles that teach that. That's heresy. The Holy Spirit is not a personality that is in any way contrary to the nature of God the Father or God the Son. Completely, perfectly, infinitely consistent with God the Father and God the Son is God the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit is not lesser than He's not subservient to, he's not inferior to, and he's not subordinate to the Father or the Son. In other words, he's not less God than God the Father and God the Son. There is a perfect balance and infinite relationship that exists Between the Trinity. One God. Three distinct persons. Now let me close with the description. This is who the Holy Spirit is. And I even hesitate to say what the Holy Spirit is. This is who the Holy Spirit is right here. 
Are you still with me tonight? The Holy Spirit, first of all, is God. He's the third member of the Trinity, the Trinity being the Godhead. He was present at creation. He existed in eternity past. The Holy Spirit never has had a beginning. For Him to have had a beginning, please do not assume or think that the Holy Spirit came into existence at Pentecost. Friend, the Holy Spirit has always existed. Just as surely as God has always existed, the Holy Spirit has existed as God, the Holy Spirit. He had no beginning. And consequently, thank God, he'll have no ending. You see him in Genesis chapter 1. You also see him in Revelation chapter 22. The Spirit and the bride say, come. He existed in eternity past. He will exist forever and ever as God in eternity future. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And when Ananias collapsed dead because he lied, remember what Simon Peter said. In verse 3, he said, You are going to die because you lied to the Holy Ghost. The very next phrase, he said, You lied to God. Well, is that two set? No. He's saying, You lied to the Holy Spirit. In essence, you lied to God. He shows the equality within the Trinity and the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. So the Holy Spirit is God. Number two, the Holy Spirit indwells, leads, and is to fully control every believer. Listen to Romans 8.14. For as many as are led, led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That teaches us that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to lead us and direct us. He leads us. Is He leading you? Are you letting Him lead you? Do you sense His leadership in your life? But then listen to 1 Corinthians 3.16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. So He not only leads us, the Holy Spirit indwells us as believers. He not only is with us, He's within us. He dwells in our spirit. Our very bodies are now the new temple, the tabernacle of God. The new dwelling place of God. The old temple was destroyed. The Holy Spirit lives inside of our temple, our tabernacle. We're the dwelling place of God. He lives inside of us. Ephesians 5.18 says, now be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be dominated by the Spirit. Be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Be controlled, we would say. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So He desires and deserves to fill us, to control us as His people. The Holy Spirit is God. 
the Holy Spirit indwells, leads, and is to fully control us. And then the Holy Spirit is a person. What does that mean, preacher? That means he is capable of being sensed. He's capable of being known. He's capable of being pleased. He's capable of being offended. He's capable of being grieved. The Bible talks about this in Acts 7, 51, where he says, speaks of resisting, notice the word, resisting the Holy Spirit. The word resist literally means, listen to this word picture, it means to run up against something so as to drive it back. It is said that the historical figure Aaron Burr got under such heavy conviction one night in a meeting, a church meeting, a revival meeting, that he stood up and he boldly proclaimed, God, leave me alone. And they say that he ran out of the meeting. Historians say that as far as they could tell and as far as his own testimony was concerned, that's the last time Aaron Burr ever admitted to being under the conviction of the Holy Spirit ever in his life. There is something in the Bible called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And here's what in essence that means. Jesus said, God said in Genesis that my spirit, Genesis 6, 3, my spirit will not always strive with man. In other words, I do believe that there is a sin. The unpardonable sin is when you so quench and grieve the Holy Spirit and resist the Holy Spirit of God that you blaspheme the Spirit of God. Which means that you resist and resist and resist and resist and resist and resist. And And I do believe, friend, that there is a deadline that if crossed, the Holy Spirit is no longer obligated to convict or speak to you or me ever again. That may or may not be popular in 2018 in theological circles, but that's biblical. So is it possible for you as a Christian, listen to my wording, to resist the Holy Spirit? Yes. It's possible. For you even as a believer to stiff arm him to put up a wall, to run against him, to push him back away from you. Ephesians 4.30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit. That literally means to cause distress, to sadden in some way. 
Well, gang, listen carefully. What, what causes the Holy Spirit to be grieved? What, what saddens the Holy Spirit? Well, obviously, sin. Right? Sin. Sin in my life. Sin in your life. Us tolerating sin when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we do not respond to his prompting. That's why, friend, and listen, I'm not trying to prove a point, but I am saying this. I am very serious because I believe the Holy Ghost is serious in a church service or a setting like this. And I'm not just saying it. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. He speaks for a reason. And he speaks through his word. And he speaks at church. And when he talks to us through the preached word, and when he's getting a message to us, it is incumbent upon us as children of God to sit up and listen and to say yes to him. That's why, dear friend, I'm telling you, God give us days again where people take church seriously. I mean, not just being here, but being all here. I think we've gotten accustomed to playing games with the Holy Spirit. God forbid. Hey, hey, God forbid that we ever have choir members that when they get done singing, they think, well, I'm going to the house. I love everybody. I love everybody. And I love our choir members. But if that's your attitude and your spirit, listen carefully. I love you, but you need to get some things right and settle with Jesus. Well, I'm here at church. We're just going to endure the preaching. I'm sorry you feel like you have. But I'm just going to tell you right now. You're not listening to the... Listen, if the word of God is preached, I don't care who the human personality is standing behind this pulpit... If the word of God is being declared, then the spirit of God is speaking to us for a reason. That's why, friend, I learned a long time ago as a teenage Christian that when the spirit of God spoke to my heart, I didn't need to care about who said what about me going to an old-fashioned altar. My mess was going to go. Because this ain't about you or me. You understand what I'm saying? When God talks to my heart even now as the preacher, you know where I am during the invitation. And I'm not saying you have to be this way. I don't know what he's telling you to do. I know what he tells me to do. Many times, CP, get this right. And if I expect our people to respond to the altar call whenever God's dealing with them, I just feel like I need to live by example and lead the way. But I'm, I don't think we take him as seriously as we ought to. Because when he speaks, it is not so you and I can take a ho-hum, take-it-or-leave-it approach to the voice of the Spirit of God. Resist not the Spirit.
Quench not the Spirit. Grieve not the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, don't quench the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. The word quench means to extinguish. Ever seen somebody do this? Maybe you've done it yourself. Maybe I've done it. Uh, there's a lone candle burning and we take a utensil and we... Or maybe you, you tough me and you go... I've always been afraid to burn my fingertips, but anyway. And you're putting that little fire out. That's what the word quench means. Oh, please, please hear the heart of your preacher. Oh, hear the heart of God. More important than mine, infinitely. He says, do not put the fire out that the Holy Spirit is wanting to ignite in you. Here's the takeaway. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit to draw us close. Make us more aware of His direction and His leading in our lives. Seven times in Revelation 2 and 3, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. It's the Spirit of God talking, using the Word. Does He still speak? Oh, friend, you better believe He does. I hear His voice often. You do? Yeah, right here. Right here. He talks to me a lot. Right here. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Acts 16, 6, and 7 talked about that two times in those two verses that the Holy Spirit resist, the Holy Spirit told him no. Well, we wanted to go over here, but the Holy Spirit said no. Don't go that way. Go this way. That's called the leadership of the Spirit. That's what he wants for our daily, daily lives. Number two, nothing grieves the Holy Spirit like sin does. Therefore, let's purpose tonight to remove that which grieves Him. And you know what He deals with us about. Let's remove it. Holy Spirit is the catalyst who causes our spiritual fire to burn bright and strong. We quench His fire by resisting His urging and resisting His prompting. When the Holy Spirit says, do this. Even sometimes things that are not even specifically mandated in Scripture. I'm talking about just situational promptings. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Times when the Holy Spirit is so very crystal clear and very real. Christian, Christian, hey, hey, don't say that, Christian. Yes, Lord. Christian, say this to that person. 
Yes, Lord. Christian, go back and do such and such. Yes, yes, Lord. Christian, give that person a track. Yes, Lord. Christian, invite that person to church. Christian, witness to that person. Christian, and he's done this. Christian, buy their meal. Christian, give this amount. Christian, don't go there. Christian, avoid that situation. Christian, stop right now and pray for so-and-so. Right now, Lord, right now, stop and pray for so-and-so. That ever happened to you? What is that? not because you ate a bad burrito the night before. That's the Holy Spirit. Wanting to use us to bless somebody else. Are you hearing me tonight? That's the Holy Spirit of God wanting to use us To be more sanctified, more holy, more in the likeness of Christ. Yes, Lord. Therefore, cultivate Holy Spirit sensitivity. don't want to get to the point where he has to holler at me. I don't want to get to the point where he has to tap loudly. You do this with your children. We've done this with ours. They'll be sitting on our lap when they were younger. We'll just whisper and call their name. I used to do it all the time. Andrew. Yes, Daddy. Elijah. Elijah. Yes, Daddy. How many of you know the older they get, that gets harder and harder, right? (laughs) I want to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God that all he has to do is nudge my heart. Yes, Lord. And I'm I'm so afraid that sometimes through the rat race like we talked about today, I don't hear him as clearly as I ought to. I don't know what he's speaking to you about tonight. I'm going to ask you, though, 
to find a place of prayer. Find an altar. It may be right where you are. You may feel the need, his prompting, to come to this altar. Just obey him. And here's what I'm going to ask you to pray. Holy Spirit, increase my sensitivity to you.